Good morning again, everyone. We want to welcome you again to Lakeshore. We're so glad you're with us. Smyrna Campus, we're glad you're here. Anybody connecting with us online, we're so happy that you have found us and connected with us there. We are about to begin a new series, uh, and in this series, we're calling it Co Uncommon Sense. It seems like we, we have reached a place in our culture, maybe we've been there a long time and just didn't realize it, where what we used to call common sense is just not so common anymore. And in this series, for five weeks, we're going to be looking at the common sense teachings in Scripture when it comes to work and money and material things and, and spending and saving and investing in those things, because here's what we need to understand. God cares about all of our lives, and he cares about all the details of our lives. He even cares about the stuff that sometimes we think is outside the realm of the spiritual world. We have this tendency to take things like money and finances and separate them out as if they're not related to our spiritual lives. When in fact, in Scripture, God has more to say about that subject matter than he does any other subject he talks about in Scripture. And he gives us practical, common sense teachings on how to do better in this area of our lives and how to be blessed and have peace and joy. Wouldn't you love to have joy back in your finances again? to have joy back in your work life and, and in your, your, your spending habits and saving and investing and preparing for the future. Wouldn't it be great to have some peace and some joy in those areas again? Well, God gives us some clear teaching that will help us get to that place in our lives where we can do better and experience more of that peace and that joy that he intends for us to have. We have this tendency, though, as I already said, to separate out those things from our walk with Christ. It's like those two can't ever come together. Uh, there was this teacher who was not a believer, and he was trying to have influence over his students not to put so much value in God and God's Word. And he was teaching them about how if God was so, wise, was so wise, really, as the Scripture says, he would have done things differently if he was really wise. And he took them out to a field where there was a garden. And he showed them in the garden there was a vine with watermelons growing on it. And he said, just think about it. If God was so wise, why do we, he, said, he pointed to a big oak tree over, off to the side there. He said, if God was so wise, why would he, on that great big sturdy oak tree, have it produce little bitty acorns? But on this little flimsy vine down here, he would grow these great big watermelons. Wouldn't it make sense for that to be the other way around? And the students thought about it for a few minutes and were kind of starting to agree a little bit. And then they walked over to get in the shade under the oak tree, and an acorn fell off the oak tree and hit the teacher on the head. <laughs> one of the teachers says, aren't you glad that wasn't a watermelon? I mean, one of the students said, aren't you glad that wasn't a watermelon? <laughs> you see, God has wisdom that we miss so many times because we act like it won't apply to this part of our lives. And he doesn't really know what he's talking about when it comes to money or finances or work and those things and careers. He, he doesn't have anything to say to us in those areas, but he does have a lot to say to us in those areas. Today, I want to start this series with a subject matter that almost everybody in here, I think everybody in here can relate to really well. And that is the necessity of work. 
in our lives, the necessity of work. I use the phrase necessity because here's how most of us think of work. It's a necessary evil in our lives, right? We have to work or we can't pay the bills. Now, for some older people here who may be already retired and maybe you're not working a regular job, you're thinking, well, but I had to work all that time before I could do that, right? It was a necessary evil before I could get to that place where I could get that out of my life again. The problem is the scripture never presents work that way. God's teaching, his common sense about work, never says that work should be looked at as a necessary evil. Many in the Christian world have accepted this false teaching that having to work is part of the curse after the fall in the Garden of Eden, right? That, that part of the consequences of sinning, of eating that fruit was, now you're going to have to work. And if you think that, you are mistaken. That is not what the Scripture says about work. In fact, let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 before they ate the fruit, before they sinned, before the curse came on us. Okay, here's what it says in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man that he had just created and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it and take care of it. What was man created to do? Work. When it says man here, it's talking about human beings, the human creation, okay? He made us to work. There was a plan and a purpose to that. And there was a desired blessing connected to it. God was not punishing Adam when he put him in the garden to work it. This is before the fall. It just tells us that this is part of God's created order of things. And, and the God of the universe who loves us and created us in his image knew that one thing that would be good for us after he created us was for us to be doing what? Work. See, why would we look at it as a punishment? It's not. Never has been intended to be a punishment. Now, after the curse, if you read later on, he does say that he would cause the work to be harder with the growing of, of weeds and thistles and thorns and stuff like that in the garden. It was going to be harder work now. But it didn't mean work was a punishment. It's not. He has a lot of things to say about work in Scripture and, and the first point I want us to see of what he talks about is work, legitimate work, is intended to be a blessing, not a curse. It's intended to be a blessing, not a curse. I know you're thinking of your job right now. And you're thinking, it sure seems like a curse to me. Some of you, not everybody, but some of you may be thinking that about your work, your job. Of course, pastors never think that. But some people, <laughs> some people may think that their job is a curse, not a blessing. And I want you to rethink that in light of these teachings, okay? In 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning with verse 6, Paul is writing to a church where he had been before. He had been there, spent time with them helping them to get established and helping them to, to grow the church and, and develop leadership there and all of that. He's been working with them, and, and the church has been growing and, and doing what God called the church to do. 
But he reminds them of something because there's some problems that have come up in the church family. Okay? And one of the problems is there are people in the church family that aren't willing to work. They're being lazy. And so many times pastors don't address this in churches, but you're in the wrong church if you expect that at Lakeshore. All right? We're going to address what he says here. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. All right, so the implication is the teaching you received from us was such that you're not supposed to think it's okay to be idle and disruptive in your life. You're not supposed to think that's okay. They've already gotten that teaching, okay? So he's warning them and reminding them. He says in verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. And I love that about Paul because he's saying, I'm not just going to tell you what to do and not do it myself. I'm going to do, I have set this example for you so that you have an example to see and to follow. Here's what he says, okay? We were not idle when we were with you. In other words, when they were there working with the church, we weren't idle while we were there, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. All right? So he's saying here, one of the blessings of doing it God's way is you don't become a burden on anybody else. You don't put a burden on anyone else because they're having to take care of you because you're not working. See, so many times people expect the church to just take care of people, even the ones who aren't willing to work, who could work. And he clearly teaches in Scripture, that's not what we're supposed to do as a church. We're not supposed to take care of people who aren't willing to work if they're able to. Now, he's not talking about people who are unable to work. That's a whole different category. He's talking about people who could be working, but who are unwilling to get up and go to work and do the hard stuff that entails working to take care of yourself. So, he says, we did this. Verse 9, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So Paul said, we did that so you would see how it's supposed to work, and you would do it that way too. He says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. You've heard this rule before. We need to be reminded of it. Here's the rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, I know in our world today of tolerance and compassion we just can't bear the thought of not giving somebody food if they're hungry right I understand that my heart goes out to people that are hungry and struggling and I don't know all the backstories for everybody that's going through that I don't but we have to look at the reality of some of the situations too unemployment is at a 50-year low right now There's a lot of jobs out there. Work, uh, employers are having a hard time getting enough employees right now. If a person wants to work, can they work today? It doesn't mean they're going to make all the money they want to make. It doesn't even mean necessarily the job will pay all of the stuff that needs to be paid. But it would pay some of it, wouldn't it? So what should they do? They should work. They should work. And not expect the church to take care of them if they're physically able to work. That's just wrong. That's not what God teaches. 
So we have to understand that if one is unwilling to work, they shouldn't eat. They shouldn't be handed stuff for nothing if they could have been working and should have been working. That's not going to help the situation, he's saying in Scripture. In fact, he's saying that's the opposite of what we need to be doing. It's going to hurt the situation more than it helps it. You know why they say put up signs in parks, do not feed the animals? You know why? You know why? They become dependent on human beings for their food. They no longer will be able to go out and get food on their own or see the need for it, and they'll lose that ability. Now, I'm not saying people are animals. Don't, don't, don't send me an email on that. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm talking about a principle here, okay? The principle works the same with people as well. If we create dependency on people giving them stuff when they're unwilling to work, where's the motivation for them to ever go out and work? They lose the motivation or the need to go work for what they get. And it sounds like it's not compassionate, but friends, when you hear this whole teaching, you're going to understand that that's one of the most compassionate things you could do is to help them see the need and the value of working if they're able to work. Because God created and designed them to be doing what? Working. That's what they're supposed to be doing. We hear, he says, that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and do what? Earn the food they eat. They need to have to earn the food that they eat. I have to earn the food I eat, and you have to earn the food you eat. He's saying that's the way it's supposed to work. It's not supposed to be any different than that. That's not a punishment. That's just the way it's supposed to work because it's good for us to have to do that. It's the way God designed us to function at our best when we're doing that. Now, there are people who physically can't do it. The Scripture teaches that we could come around them and help them, but other than that, they need to be willing to work for their food. Now, here's the thing. Before the curse, Adam was put in the garden to work. But what about after the curse? What's going to happen then? Is work still important? Look at Revelation 22 and verse 3. This is a picture God gives John, the apostle, of heaven, of what, of what the kingdom is going to look like after Christ comes back. How's that going to work? How's that going to look? Well, in verse 20, chapter 22, verse 3, he says this. No longer will there be any curse. All right, so the curse is gone. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will do what? Oh, what's that word? Serve. Does that sound a little bit like work? Yeah. Even after the curse is lifted, what are we going to be doing? Working, serving. Why? Because we're created for that. That's what we're made for. That's how God designed it to be for our good, that we're supposed to be doing that. So many of us have this false picture of heaven, like we're going to sit around on clouds and strum a harp all the time. <laughs> Friends, that would drive me crazy. First of all, I can only take so much harp music. But secondly, even if I knew how to play a harp, I don't think I would enjoy it very much. You see, we're designed for something more than to sit around and be idle. But you know what we've created in the American mindset? The whole goal of your work career is to get to a place where you don't have to work anymore. 
That's the whole goal. We call it retirement. You finally get to the place where you don't have to work anymore. The problem is that's nowhere in Scripture as a goal for us in life. Now, I'm not saying retirement's evil. I'm not. I'm saying the idea of retiring to do nothing is not in line with God's Word. It's great to retire from this job or this career if you've got still a plan and a purpose to use that time and that energy and that effort you still have to serve and do some good things with it. You're not supposed to sit down and do nothing. Human beings aren't designed to function that way. Well, we can get by with it, but we don't function well long term when we're not doing something worthwhile with our lives, with our time. Uh, sometimes people will ask me, Pastor Andy, what are you thinking about retiring? And I said, I don't ever think about retiring. I might change what I'm doing, but I don't ever think about retiring. I want to keep serving my whole life till I take my last breath, and then I want to serve on the other side because God is worthy of that. He deserves that from his people. In the meantime, I've got a job to do. You know what my job is? It's clearly defined in Scripture as a pastor teacher. In Ephesians 4 and verse 12, here's my role. To equip his people for what? Works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's why I'm teaching on this subject today. I want you to understand that part of our job as leaders in the church is to teach and equip and facilitate opportunities for you to work and serve in ways that honor God and that make the kingdom of God stronger. And now you're thinking about your job, thinking, well, my job doesn't let me do that. Well, hold on. we got some more to hear, okay? we got some more teaching going on here that you need to listen to. Here are some benefits. I just want to very quickly run through four benefits of working the way God wants us to. And I'm talking about legitimate work that would be pleasing to God, okay? I'm not talking about selling drugs or anything like that is your job. I'm talking about legitimate work that would honor, that, that's pleasing to God, that's acceptable to God, all right? First of all, it builds self-esteem when you work the way you're supposed to work. We're always focusing in our culture today on making people feel good about themselves, but we get mixed up. We don't have the common sense anymore to realize that part of what makes people feel good is working hard and doing a good job. That's one of the best things to build self-esteem in somebody's life. It really is. To know that you put forth a great effort and you did a good job and you can see the benefits and results of that, that builds self-esteem in somebody's life. That's a big deal. You see, because we're designed to get self-esteem that way. Not by people giving us a trophy when we didn't work. Everybody gets a trophy, even the kid that ate bugs in the outfield. Right? Everybody gets a trophy, whether they really worked hard at it or not. That doesn't build self-esteem. They could have a whole room full of trophies and still feel awful about themselves because they know they didn't earn that trophy. Everybody got one. didn't matter what you did or didn't do. Even the people that worked hard aren't going to feel self-esteem that way because everybody that didn't work hard got a trophy too, right? That doesn't build self-esteem. It never will long-term build and sustain self-esteem. But working hard at a legitimate job will. 
Listen to this, what Jesus said in John 5, 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. You're most like God and his son Jesus when you're doing what? Work. Legitimate work. Because God works all the time. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he's not taking a week off this week? When you need him the most? He's probably earned more than two weeks vacation <laughs> at this point. But he's still working. Now, he worked in rest as a part of the schedule too, right? The Sabbath. He, he started that right off. Seventh day he rested. But, but that doesn't mean that he is not always there and aware and at work. Rest is a part of the needed equation too. But we can't get that out of balance. Work has value. So it builds self-esteem, and it is pleasing to God. That's another benefit of working like we need to. Colossians 3 that, that Josiah read earlier here uh, and uh, uh, down at the campus there in Smyrna, here's what it says. Colossians 3, beginning with verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So whatever your job is, I know you're thinking, my job is not really worship. Whatever your job is, if you do it as if you're working for who? For God, for the Lord, then that's what gives it value. That's what gives it worth. And that's what makes it worship. You see, worship is not just what we do in here on Sunday mornings. My life verse is Romans 12, 1 and 2. As in view of God's mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your spiritual act of worship. That's not just giving your life to God on Sunday mornings, is it? That's giving your work life to God, too. That is an act of worship when you do that for the Lord. Now, that changes what kind of employee you're going to be. Or what kind of boss you're going to be or what kind of supervisor you're going to be when you're doing it for the Lord and not just the paycheck. It changes what kind of pastor you're going to be, doesn't it? I know, I'm sure there are pastors who aren't doing it for the Lord like they need to. And that doesn't accomplish the same things. It's not going to be pleasing to God. But when you work for the Lord, where, like you're doing it for Him, it changes how you do it and why you do it. It changes the motivation behind it. And all work can be done that way. Remember, he says, whatever you do, whatever your job is. Sometimes we act like we can only have a job that honors God if we go into ministry. We call it ministry, right? And that's a preacher or a youth pastor or something like that, right? That's how you, you serve the Lord is you get called into ministry. I got news for you. Everybody in here and everybody hearing this was called into ministry when you call, were called to Christ. All of us have been called in the ministry. That means if you're an electrician or a plumber or a teacher or counselor or whatever your role is, whatever your work job is, maybe you're sitting at a computer all day with data entry, that is your calling to worship God in that job. You do it as unto the Lord. That's an act of worship. If you do it the right way. It can also be an act of rebellion and, and lack of worship if you do it the wrong way. It depends on how you approach the job. So he says, do it 
to please God because he's the one who's going to reward you. Now, the paycheck is good, and, you know, any bonuses you get, those are good. If you get vacation, that's a blessing. That's a good thing. But ultimately, where's your reward going to come from if you use work the way you're supposed to? From the Lord. He's the one that's going to reward you for doing this the way it's supposed to be done. Now, delayed gratification is hard for all of us. We'd rather get the raise, right? <laughs> We'd rather get more in our paycheck today. And that's a great blessing if you get it. But even if you don't, you know the Lord is going to reward you and bless you when you work the way you're supposed to work. So it's supposed to be pleasing to God the way we work. And it develops character when we do it the way we're supposed to do it. Colossians 1.10 says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So in all the work we do, if we do it right, if we do it for the Lord, if we, it's going to help us grow in the knowledge of the Lord and experience with Him and how God cares for us and provides for us, and it's going to build our character as a Christ follower. We'll be better people when we work the way God wants us to work. We'll be more like Him. And that's what makes us better, is being more like Him, the one who created us. It develops character, and it also provides, and this is one of the biggest things that we miss, we have missed in America, and that is it provides opportunities to influence for Christ. Your work provides opportunities for you to make, have influence for Christ that you wouldn't have if you weren't going to that job that you have. You see, almost every job, even if you're working in a cubicle all by yourself every day, almost no job is totally isolated. There is interaction and contact with other people, whether it's online or in person or however it is. Almost every job, you have to interact with some other people, even if it's the boss coming by to tell you what you did wrong, right? There's still interaction with other people, even if it's eight bosses coming by to tell you the same thing you did wrong. There's interaction with other people. And you know what that provides for you then? An opportunity to be a good influence for God and his kingdom. Your job is giving you opportunities to influence people for Christ that we won't ever have here at this church service because they're not here. They're out there. The turning point in America, honestly, was this. When the church decided mission work was only somewhere else, not here. You want to look at the turning point of America and our culture and our churches not being as effective as they once were. It's when we decided missions was collecting money and sending people somewhere else to go do the work of God. And not recognizing that we are on the mission field in our workplace, in our homes, in our communities every single day. We're supposed to be on mission for him. Every single day, we're supposed to be on mission for him. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing. When he says, go and make disciples of all nations, that word go means as you're going, wherever you go, be making disciples. So where do you go most days? work so are you going there on mission are you going there out of a necessary evil so you can pay the bills how are you going there every day you're supposed to be going there on mission 
to have the influence for Christ that he wants you to have. In 1 Peter 2, verse 12, he reminds us of this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. People get upset with the word translated pagans there. Live such good lives among the pagans. You calling me a pagan? You calling my coworker a pagan? That word pagan has gotten a negative connotation. All the word there means is somebody who, who doesn't follow Christ. That's all it means. Somebody who's not a Christ follower yet. So he says, live such good lives among people who don't follow Christ that they'll see the good work you're doing and they'll praise God for it. Is that how you've been working this past week? Is that the attitude you've had this past week? Is that the mission you've gone to work with this past week? Because that's what we're called to do. We are called into that ministry as Christ followers. And whether it's volunteer work or paid work, we should go into it for that purpose, to be the ministers, influencers for Christ that he wants us to be. You see, the church has lost a lot of its influence in the culture, not because the culture just magically went wrong. It's because the church stopped going into the culture to influence the culture the way we're supposed to. That's the turning point. That's what changed everything in our country. We paid people to go do mission work somewhere else and made ourselves feel better about not doing it right here in our own jobs and workplaces and communities. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't send people other places. We do that. We still love doing that. It's a great thing. But not to the exclusion of doing the mission work right here that God has called us to do. Okay? You can't do one without the other and be pleasing to God. Well, here's the second main point I want you to see today, and that is something that has happened in our culture is we have begun to demonize companies and people that make a lot of money as if they're evil. But the second point I want you to see is this. Healthy profit is honorable according to Scripture. Healthy profit. I'm not saying dishonest gain. I'm talking about healthy profit, this gain, honestly, is honorable according to God's Word. We should stop demonizing that. That's not a bad thing for companies or people to make money. That's the only way they can survive, friends. It's the only way they will exist. It's the only way you could have a job is if that company is making a profit on what they're doing. We should never demonize a company for being successful or an individual for being successful financially. That in itself has no reason to be demonized. It is very much an honorable thing. Think about of all the parables Jesus told, one of them we call the parable of the talents. It's found in Matthew 25, starting with verse 14. Remember, the guy was a wealthy business person, it seems like, and he was going on a journey, and he had three servants, and he gave them all a certain amount to manage while he was gone. To one, he gave five talents. You remember the story? He gave less to the other two, right? One got five, one got two. Poor guy only got one. You know, one guy got one bag of money. That's all he got to manage. So he got five bags of money for one guy, two bags for another, and one bag for the third. He goes on his trip. The one with five bags, what did he do? He worked hard with it. He invested it. He doubled it, brought back ten. The one that had two, what did he do? He worked hard with it. He doubled it, brought back four. The one who had one, what did he do? Made all the excuses he could make and didn't do anything with it. Dug a hole in the ground and left it there until the guy came back. Now, Jesus is telling this story to teach us what God wants from us. He's talking about the kingdom of God here. 
So the one who gained five, what did the master say to him? Well, this is where we get the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with this. I'm going to bless you with more. How was he faithful with it? What did he do? He worked hard and doubled his money. God didn't demonize that. Jesus didn't demonize that. He said, great job, man. The one who had two, what did he do? Doubled it. Did, did God, did, did, did the master say, oh, oh man, that's awful. Uh, you shouldn't have all that money and somebody else doesn't have as much. Is that what he said? No, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. The one who had one, what did he say to him? You know what he said? You wicked, lazy servant. But what's being pushed in our culture today is just equal distribution of wealth no matter how hard you work or don't work. As if that's a Christian way of doing things. That is not what Jesus taught. He taught that you, it is honorable to work hard and do well financially. It doesn't mean it's dishonorable if you don't ever make a lot of money. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's no demonization to doing well financially. If you worked hard for it, did it honestly, did it the right way, God loves that. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. Because if you are doing this the right way, then there are great benefits to it in the kingdom of God. If you can earn honestly, then you can invest wisely. If you're earning honestly, making a profit, doing well financially, you can invest that profit in ways that are great for the work of God and the kingdom of God. That's why it's a good thing. When you make a profit, here's what happens. You can take care of your own needs. You don't have to be a burden on anybody else or the church. You don't have to live. People say they live off the government. No, they don't. They live off us that are working. Nobody lives off the government. You know why? The government doesn't have any money. The government is trillions of dollars in debt. The government has no money. It's all taxpayer money. It's none of it government money. You need to understand that. So when they're living off of that, they're living off the people who are working. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to taking care of people who can't work for physical or, or mental reasons, whatever. They can't do it. There's no way they can. We're supposed to take care of them. But here's the deal. If a man will not work, he should not eat. So the value is when you work and make a profit, you can take care of your own needs and not have to be a burden either to your family or your church or on the taxpayers of your country. You don't have to be a burden to any of them because you're working hard and taking care of your own needs. And not only does that, though, it means you can take care of your family if you have a family. If you weren't making some profit, could you take care of your family? No. So you have to get do a good enough job and, and work hard enough that you can make money and take care of yourself and your families. So making money's good. And you can pay taxes if you're working and making money. And hopefully we can get people in, in government to try to use that money wisely, to, to use it in ways that really do benefit the right people in the right way. So we're able to pay taxes and help other people that way. And if you do well in business, especially if you have your own business or you're in a management role with a company, then you can also give jobs to other people if you're making a lot of money. 
Now, uh, there's a big movement, and I like this movement. I think it's a good thing. And I saw it again this week. The mayor said some things about this, about shopping local and supporting local businesses. And that's a good thing. I would encourage you to do that. That's investing money right there in your own community. But they make it sound like that when you buy from a corporation, that's evil. The overwhelming number of jobs in this country are with corporations. If we don't have corporations making money, can they keep all those people employed? No, they cannot. You see, it's not one or the other. It's both. If a corporation's doing well, they can provide a whole bunch of jobs. GM workers went on strike. They wanted some benefits they weren't getting and they wanted some opportunities they weren't getting. Well, how can GM do that if they're not making a good profit? Can they provide that for their employees if they're not making a good profit? No, of course they can't. I'm saying both sides of that need to be looked at, not just one. And we shouldn't demonize a company for making a profit. That's what they're in business for so they can not only take care of their own needs and their families, but provide jobs for other people where they can do that too for their families. So shopping local is good and buying online from Amazon can be good too. Neither one of those is evil in and of themselves because they all provide jobs. So you can provide jobs uh, for other people, but here's something else it does if you actually make a profit. It enables you to be generous for the causes you believe in. It enables you to be generous and support the causes you believe in. Might I suggest a good church? I hear there's one right here in Antioch. One in Smyrna, campus in Smyrna. Lakeshore Christian Church where the truth of the word of God is being proclaimed. People are being taught and they're growing. People are being brought to Jesus. Programs are being done, ministries done for children all the way through uh, all their ages that they grow through. Uh, Classes for adults are being provided. People are being sent out, serving God and all over the world. People in other parts of the world are being supported and cared for through the gifts they're given. Ministries like the branch are being helped through the church and if you work hard and make some money it enables you to be generous in supporting the things you think are worth supporting and friends we couldn't do any of the ministry we do here if it wasn't for people who attend here giving some of what God blessed them with you worked hard for it you earned it yes thank you that now gives you the opportunity to give to and be generous and support the outreach and work and ministry of this church because we can't function without it. You see, when people talk about the church, sometimes they say the church is money. Duh. Where do you think that came from? It's not the church's money. It's the money, it's the Lord's money that he provided for you that you gave to be used by the church. We can only do so much because... We can only work with what is provided through the gifts of the people who support the work of the church. And, of course, we would like to do more. We always want to do more. Help as many people as we can. But you can only work with what's given. You can only do as much as is provided by the gifts of the people who are working and generously donating to the work. So don't ever demonize people working hard and making a lot of money. 
Obviously, they can use it the wrong way. That's their choice. They can really be evil with it if they want to be. But if they're doing honest work and they're managing it as God wants them to, then that is one of the greatest ways to bless the world that you can bless the world. Which leads to the last thing, and that's this. Biblical standards do bless the marketplace. Biblical standards bless the marketplace. If we as Christians can go into the workforce in the marketplace and do it the way God wants us to, it can bless the whole marketplace. It can change the whole business world and marketplace by the influence and the impact of Christian workers out there in the workforce in the marketplace. You see, human standards sound good. We, a company that's not Christian at all can have the same vision statement, uh, a mission statement as a company that is Christian. And act like that makes their company a good company. Let me ask you this question real quick. Would you like to work for a company whose core values were respect and integrity and communication and excellence? Does that sound like a good company to work for? Absolutely. You know what? There was a company that had those four values, and some of you are old enough to remember this company. It was Enron. That was their four values. A company that corruption was exposed and people lost all of their retirement and investments and everything in the company and the people were, were left without who had worked there for 20 and 30 years. You see, just putting that in your core value statement doesn't mean it's ever penetrated the hearts of the people there. There's a big difference in having those values in you and having those values on a heading as you walk into your office on a banner somewhere. Christ followers are supposed to have those values in them. Whether the company has that as their vision statement or not, whether the company you work for is being honorable or not, what are you supposed to be? Honorable. You see, Christ wants to be over all things. In Colossians 1.17, it says he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Does that mean your work life too? Absolutely. Whether you are the lowest on the totem pole at work or you're in a management position or you own the company, Christ and his values are supposed to dominate who you are, how you work, how you treat other people. You see... The whole law, Jesus said, could be summed up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does that mean while you're at work? Yeah. And then his other one, he says, another one just like it is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you supposed to do that at work too? Yeah. And if we could take those values into the workplace and the marketplace, friends, that will get a lot more attention out there than anything we do in this building on Sunday mornings. We need to do a good job here on Sunday mornings, but that will do more to impact our culture than anything we do in here on Sunday mornings. We need to rethink where our heart is with our work. In Jeremiah 6, 16, he said this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Many of us aren't experiencing joy and rest and peace in our work life because we have left the ancient ways. We're not doing this the way God has taught us to do it. We're listening to the uncommon sense of the world 
about how to go to work and get by with as little as possible and just make it miserable as a necessary evil and let's just pay the bills and move on instead of seeing it as the wonderful opportunity to impact the world for Christ that it really is. We need to go back to the ancient ways. Jeremiah sadly said, but you said to those people, we will not walk in it. What about you? What do you say today? It sounds uncommon anymore to go to work with that attitude and that approach, but that's the ancient way of God and what he created us to do, who he created us to be. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to go back to the ancient call of God on your life, to walk in his ways, to love him and love your neighbor and be the example in the workplace, the marketplace, the community, the home, the family that God has called you to be. It starts with a commitment of your whole life to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that today we've been reminded that work is not just a necessary evil. We should never look at it that way. Instead, it's a blessing and an opportunity for us to be the missionaries in our culture that you've called us to be. I know there are people here that work in hard places, hard conditions. Sometimes they're treated unfairly. Father, I ask your grace to be on them and your mercy. But help them to be reinvigorated, all of us to be reinvigorated today, to work as if we're working for you because we are. We belong to you. Our work belongs to you. And Father, may we impact our culture through our work the way you've called us to impact it. And if there's anyone here today who needs to come and commit their lives, all of their lives, work life and all of their lives to you, we pray today they would take that step. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.